0: Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, his eyes on the spur. It's not your heart Be because...
1: Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Three quick things about servanthood. A servant is not greater than his master. A servant is humble. And a servant fully participates and involves himself herself in God's mission. Tonight I'm going to bring a message on servanthood. I call it the name of the game. My name is Al Brady and I welcome you. My prayer is that the word and the music will be a blessing. Would you hear now please the reading of God's word. It comes from Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. While Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves and said to them on the way, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked a favor of him, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be the first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me now for a word of prayer? Oh God, we are so thankful for this opportunity of being together I ask that you would touch me and touch someone else through me. Your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's all in your name. Amen." Parents will be parents. This is revealed to us quite easily in our scripture lesson. The mother of James and John is making an unusual request of Jesus. She's making an all-too-human request of Jesus. She's requesting that her two sons, James and John, be given the privilege of sitting at the right and left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. Now before we criticize this mother too severely, is she doing anything that we as parents have not done or at least considered doing? I remember a few years ago when my son Jason was eight years of age, I volunteered to coach his little league baseball team. There were 49 teams in the league. 48 of them had a coach, his didn't so I volunteered. That was quite an experience. Our team had 15 players, 14 boys and one girl. It was quite an experience to say the least. You would think that since the rule stated that every player had to play in every game, that it wouldn't really matter who started, right? Wrong. I remember those parental phone calls that came to my house telling me who should start the games. One mother said that her son would be psychologically harmed if he didn't start the game. Another father said that his son could only grow in confidence if he could start the game. And another father said if we're going to win the games, we've got to keep the best players in the game. And he was sure that his son was one of those best players. And I'll be real honest with you, as the coach, I was sure my own son Jason was one of the best players on the team. And so it goes. And so it goes. Now, all the other disciples, when they heard about the request of the mother of James and John, they were furious because, you see, they themselves believed that they were just as bit as capable and just as bit as good to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus in the coming of kingdom as were James and John. So Jesus used this occasion to teach these people about the meaning of true greatness. Now, this was not an easy teach, you see because it went against all the grain of the culture of which they were a part, and it goes against the grain of our culture today. No question about that. It requires a different way of defining greatness. Undoubtedly, one of the most revolutionary sentences ever uttered was this one, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In answer to this woman's request, Jesus reminded her and all of the disciples that to share his vision is to share its cost. Jesus reminded them that inclusion in his kingdom could only be accomplished by one thing, faithfulness. Faithfulness to God regardless of the cost. And so Jesus encouraged his people not to seek to become the rulers, to lord it over others, but to simply follow him as being a servant of everybody. So how do we keep faith with our call to serve? I want to share with you a few thoughts. First of all, we remember that we ourselves have been served. We remember that we ourselves have been served. You know what stands out in this particular experience of this text more than anything else? The thing that stands out is grace. Marvelous, undeserving, undescribable grace. The reason Jesus was going to Jerusalem was because of grace grace. I read that a young fellow named Manuel Garcia who lived in Milwaukee had cancer and he also was taking chemotherapy treatments and it turned out that his hair was coming out in patches and he became quite concerned so he just shaved all of his head. Then he became concerned about what others thought. His brother Julio, learning of his concern, shaved all of his hair off and got 50 other people to shave their heads. So that hospital room looked like a hotel of bald-headed convention people as they were all bald. Now isn't this an incredible story? As incredible as it is, it's not nearly as incredible as the grace of God, as the grace of the living God. The death of Jesus was not an accident. The death of Jesus was an accomplishment. Jesus' journey up to Jerusalem was a part of God's grand design. His grand design to bring about our redemption from our sin. First, there are a couple of things we need to understand about God's love, God's grace, as far as the Bible is concerned. God's grace always takes the initiative and goes into action first, and God's grace is always by the undeserving. I remember not long ago, I went into a hospital room. This man was in a terminal state. And I knew it was going to be full of doom and gloom. But when I got in there, the man was sitting on the side of his bed. He had on a white shirt, a big grin on his face. And he said, I can't wait to see where I'm going. He said, the family said, but I can't wait to see where I'm going. He said, you see, six years ago, I was an alcoholic. And today, I'm a recovering alcoholic. But six years ago, I met Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, I accepted God's acceptance of me. So let's again define God's grace. God's grace is not some vague and general thing. Grace in the Bible is, number one, God taking the initiative, always going into action first, and number two, it's always for the undeserving. The great Karl Barth liked the Swiss legend of the man who one night was riding his horse and he got lost in the dark. So what he did was he rode over a frozen lake, Constance. He never had any idea he was on a... A frozen lake as he traveled. When he got to the other side people explained to him his narrow escape and he simply fell to the ground in terror and fear. This is our situation. You see we've already gotten over the the lake because of God's goodness and mercy toward us. We've already gotten over the lake. I read about a fellow who was up at the Veterans Memorial in Washington DC, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. He was leaning up against the wall. He didn't realize he was on a newscast, but he was. They saw the tears streaming down his face. And all he could be heard saying as he ran his fingers through the letters was, He died for me. He died for me. Annie Lamott in Traveling Mercies talks about her experience of coming to know Christ. She said she was drawn to the grace of God. In her life, she said she was a drug addict. She was an alcoholic. She was bulimic. She was depressed. And she couldn't imagine how God could still love us. So she went to a Catholic priest, made an appointment and went to see him. And the priest, she said, I just can't believe God can love me. He said, he has to love you. That's his job. It's not only God's job to love. It's God's heart to love. Do you see, Jesus' trip to Jerusalem was for our salvation. It was for our salvation. Do you understand? A friend said to another one, he said, You know, I can imagine God creating this heaven and earth. I can imagine God creating all the things in the world. I can imagine God making me. I can imagine God hearing me. I can imagine God listening to me. But he said, To love me? to keep on loving me, to love me to the uttermost. And yet that is exactly what the Bible says. God loves us to the uttermost, to the uttermost. Remember, God's grace always takes the initiative, goes into action first. Secondly, it always does this for the undeserving. We will never be true servants until we can stand before the world as those who have been served ourselves. And then secondly, we can focus on Jesus as our role model. Jesus as our role model. Jesus defined greatness in a new way. He said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So by both word and example, Jesus kept telling us the importance of humble servants, of being humble servants. Like most young people, Jesus had to decide, how he was going to spend his life. So he went out into the desert, to the solitude of the desert, to figure this out. He knew people were looking for a Messiah, a Messiah, a Savior who would save them from their oppression, who would save them. And he understood that he had a role to play. But yet, the question was, what kind of Messiah was he going to be? Was he going to be a ruler or one who serves? We're told out in the temptation experience, he came to the conclusion of what he was supposed to be. Jesus chose to be a servant. As a matter of fact, Jesus chose to be a servant his entire ministry. He always served. There's a beautiful uh, scripture lesson in John's gospel. Here we see Jesus. He's sitting at the table with his disciples. It's the final supper. He's eating with them before he gives himself over to his enemies. While his disciples are arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus suddenly rises from the table. He picks up a towel and a basin of water, and he begins to wash the feet of his followers. And then he stands and says, I have given you an example. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. That's the word to us about being humble servants. Jesus was trying to tell us to follow his example as a role model. But you say, well, I understand this. I've heard this so many times before. Why do I need to hear it again? Because as John Killinger just said, we in America tend to separate service from greatness. We separate service from greatness. And don't we do that? There was an English professor who asked his students, they were freshmen, to write a 200-word paper on why they came to college. He asked them to be honest. They were honest. Most of them said the same thing. They had come to college because he thought they thought it was a means of big salaries and fringe benefits. They were concerned about their own personal security and things like that. But that professor said not a single one of them brought service and greatness together. Not a single one. Brought service and greatness together. Jesus defined greatness in a new way, not in a childish way, which is the way of materialism, not in a barbarian way, which is the way of force, not in a Grecian way, which is the way of intellect, not in a Roman way, which is the way of status and rank. By the way, our airlines continue to reinforce that in their first class and coach class tickets, and not in a peculiarly American way, which is the way of success. Jesus defined servanthood as being God's way of living in this world, God's purpose for living in this world. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. Now, if we are going to follow Jesus, we need to understand servanthood in at least these four ways. A servant is someone who works in somebody else's house. A servant is someone who works in somebody else's house. A servant is someone who ministers to someone else's need. A servant is someone who works at somebody else's convenience. And a servant is someone someone who does not expect to be thanked. Our role model is Jesus. Our role model is Jesus. And then there's one other thing I want to share. To keep faith with our call to servanthood, we recall that all the truly great people have been servants. Do you get that? All the truly great people have been servants. Let me just list a few. We're talking about St. Francis of Assisi, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Pope John XXIII, Albert Schweitzer, Martin Luther King, to name just a few. I would like to add the name of Jimmy Carter, not so much because of his presidency, but because of his ministries after his presidency, his servanthood around the world. His pastor said that his faith was exemplified by three beliefs. First, he believed Jesus Christ was his Savior and he needed to be pure to follow his Savior. Second, he believed the Bible was the way that he found out how he was supposed to live his life. And third, He believed that he was here to serve others, and the best way to serve others is through the church. Now, just for a minute, I want us to think about some of the great people we've known. These great people who have been servants or continue to be servants. One that I have known and continue to know is Dr. James Laney, former ambassador to South Korea. I knew Dr. Laney when he was president of Emory University, and I was pastor of Glen Memorial Church. He's one of the great intellects of this country. But Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, I would see him sitting in the pews of Glen Memorial Church on Sunday. And when he came to Emory as the Dean of the Candler School of Theology, he took his professors on a retreat. And like Jesus, he washed the feet of his professors. He is truly one of the great servants that I have known and continue to know Dr. James Laney. And then there's another lady that I have known in one of the churches I served, her name was Oprah Galding. Oprah Gaulding. Every Saturday, Oprah Gaulding and her two children went out to this little church called Asbury United Methodist Church in Harrisonville, Georgia, which was really out in sort of a wooded area of Harrisonville, went out and cleaned this church from top to bottom. She and her two children dusted, they cleaned, they straightened. They did everything. In other words, that building... That little church building, education building, was her prime prime purpose for being. She took care of all of that. She even told us when the shrubbery needed to be taken care of. But on Saturday, she could be seen out there trimming shrubbery. She could be out there raking leaves, watering the shrubbery. In other words, she was truly a great servant. She did what she did, and she did it at the very best. Then there's another lady that I have known as a tremendous servant of God in another church. Her name was Grace Green. I called her Amazing Grace Green. Why? Because she was amazing. She was a prayer warrior. And she would read the scripture before the morning worship service. You could depend on that. She was a Sunday school teacher. She listened to others. She visited hospitals and homes. And she shared her faith. She was truly an amazing woman. And so I called her Amazing Grace. And I have known and continue to know many, many other great servants of God. And I'm sure the same can be said of you. These servants who give themselves unreservedly to some great purpose for Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. There's so much that could be said about servanthood. Three women were talking about their lineage. They were debating it, as a matter of fact. One of them said, oh, they could trace their lineage back to the pilgrims. Back to the pilgrims. The second said, oh, that's nothing. I can trace my lineage back to King Henry VIII. The, the third said, no, that's nothing. I can trace our lineage back to Matthew the disciple. Another lady was asked. She hadn't said anything. They said, how far can you trace your lineage back, Mary? She said, oh, they lost our records in the flood. In the floods. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be able to say, I'm an American. It's great to be able to say, I'm a Georgian. It's great to be able to say, I'm a graduate of this institution or that institution. It's great to be able to say, I'm a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or an Episcopalian or a Catholic or something else. And it is great. But the greatest honor of all is to be designated as a servant of Jesus Christ. Whoever wishes to be great, he said, must be your servant. The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful again for this time together. We are thankful you call us to be servants. And we are thankful, O oh God, by your grace we can answer. We ask you to forgive us sometime when we forget. Sometimes when we forget to be what you call us to be in reality. We ask, O God, that you would forgive us and help us to get back on track. We remember Jesus said to follow him. He is our role model, and we are grateful. May it be so in our own lives. Thank you again for this time together. It's in your name. Amen. I appreciate so much you joining us for this service tonight, and I pray that you will have a blessed night and a blessed week. Good night.
2: Light of the world forever, my heart will say no other name.